Welcome to Taking Back Control, where we uncover the myths and break down the nuances around gender-based violence. This is a space where we talk to advocates and professionals in the field to truly understand what their role is and ways we can help detect, prevent, and move towards the goal of ending gender-based violence. We believe that it is never too late for survivors to take back control of their lives, and the first step is shining a light on this all-too-common subject. I am your host, Christina Jones. Let's get ready to take back control. This podcast will discuss gender-based violence and may be distressing. We invite you to pause if you feel overwhelmed. Professional advocates are ready to help at the National Domestic Violence Hotline, 800-799-SAFE, that's S-A-F-E, and at the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE, that's H-O-P-E. Season two is all about the work of the Battered Women's Justice Project, or BWJP as we call it. We'll be spotlighting different BWJP projects and programs. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the work of BWJP's National Center on Protection Orders and Full Faith and Credit, which provides technical assistance and training on protection orders, the Full Faith and Credit provision of the Violence Against Women Act, and interjurisdictional enforcement of protection orders. Full faith and credit basically means that if a protection order is issued in one jurisdiction, it must be recognized and enforced in other jurisdictions. And while most people know that protection orders are available for adults, did you know that teenagers are also able to access protection orders as well? February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and according to the CDC, nearly 1 in 11 female and approximately 1 in 14 male high school students report having experienced physical dating violence in the last year. And 26% of women and 15% of men who are victims of contact sexual violence, physical violence, and are stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime first experienced these or other forms of violence by that partner before the age of 18. February, again, is National Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month, and in honor of that month, we're taking a deep dive into the protection that teens can obtain to make sure they stay safe against dating violence offenders of any age. And we're going to chat with Sarah Henry, attorney advisor for BWJP's National Center on Protection Order and Full Faith and Credit, to talk all about ways in which teen can obtain, teens can obtain those protection orders. If you are a teen or a parent, you do not want to miss this episode. Check it out. Here with BWJP attorney advisor, Sarah Henry. Um, Sarah while she is railing against gender-based violence, is also dismantling stereotypes in the home improvement arena as she rehabs her own pre-Civil War uh, home. So I'm waiting on that HGTV show. So attorney by day, HGTV star by night. Welcome, Sarah Henry. Good afternoon, everyone. Like Christina said, I am the proud owner of an impact driver. <laughs> My name is Sarah Henry. I'm an attorney advisor with BWJP's National Center on Protection Orders and Full Faith and Credit. 
There, I provide training and technical assistance within the areas of civil and criminal protection orders, their issuance, enforcement, and um, interjurisdictional enforcement of those types of orders, as well as how protection orders relate to federal and state firearm laws, which may prohibit possession. And as I said before, this episode is all about Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month and how teens can get protective orders. But before we get into how teens can get protective protection orders, let's talk about what are civil and criminal protection orders. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about what they are? Absolutely. When we're looking at civil protection orders and the civil court system as a whole. The civil court system is petitioner driven and by the person who is experiencing the harm or the harassment and they are seeking out the assistance of the court system. The, if the petitioner at that point has enough evidence where the court thinks that they can move forward um, and listen to the allegations, they go ahead and issue a temporary protection order and then the citizen who is accused of the harm or the harassment has to come and also provide information on whether or not that particular order should be issued. And we can go into that further on into the podcast. The civil protect the criminal protection order system when we're talking about criminal protection orders the criminal court system is driven by the government and namely like a prosecutor's office. In that particular regard, the prosecutor in a criminal case is going to ask the criminal court to keep the defendant away from the victim. And in that particular case, it is the prosecutor's office or the government asking the court to protect that individual. So um, you talked about evidence. So you have to bring evidence with you to a civil protection um, hearing. Can you tell me what what is evidence? What are the what type of things that they're looking for? What would what would constitute a piece of evidence? Usually when we're talking about the civil court system uh, being petitioner driven, not everyone can afford an attorney. So some of the types of evidence can be relaxed in the civil court arena when we're talking about protection orders. The judge may even ask you a couple of questions, but they're going, you know, the initial forms are going to ask you what type of harm are you experiencing? Are you experiencing physical harm? Are you experiencing any type of financial control? Um, are you experiencing harassment through social media or through text messages? It's going to be really more of a description of the harassment the harm, um, quite possibly the injuries and the control that you are facing. Absolutely. Um, I know one thing that I really um, like to have in, as a prosecutor are pictures. So if someone does assault you, taking pictures of yourself may seem really scary and may feel really, really weird. Um, but if it's something where you would like to obtain a protection protection order or um, possibly initiate a court case, those pictures are really vital and valuable um, as the court makes a decision as to whether someone should stay away or have to stay away from you. So, okay, Sarah, moving into our next question, what is the legal standard for civil protection orders? 
That's really dependent on the jurisdiction uh, that you are working with. So if you are looking for the specific legal standard and you are an attorney, um, you're going to look that up by the, the rules for your jurisdiction um, and make sure that you do your due diligence. It is not the same as criminal court. So it is not that standard of evidence. For the most part, you know, we are looking for you to carry the football. If you're aware of that metaphor that they use in law school, we are looking for you to carry the football far enough to prove to the court that you are entitled to a document which is going to restrict the liberties of another individual. So that's super, super helpful. Um, now let's move to a little bit towards young people. So can young people, and by young people, I really mainly mean teenagers, obtain protection orders and how, how can they obtain them? Like I said before, every jurisdiction is different. So you want to look to your local court rules. You want to look to your state law. Um, states really dictate who has the ability to bring the case, which would allow for a protection order. So after you take a look at your state laws and, and they vary state to state, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, tribe to tribe, um, you will know the age that you need to be to petition. That being said, there are some jurisdictions which allow um, young people as young as 12 to petition for protection orders. Um, there are some states that say you have to be 16 years old, um, something along those lines. And then there are states which also say that um, minors may not petition alone, that they need to have a guardian or next friend is sometimes what it's called, or they may even um, need to provide evidence that um, they can petition or should be allowed to petition by themselves. Um, so it really does vary and uh, the accompaniment can vary as well. So you might need so, a parent or a guardian. Absolutely. Like Sarah said, it, it really varies from state to state. And we do have a resource for you um, that's in our show notes. Sarah, can you tell our listeners a little bit about our resource? National Center on Protection Orders and Full Faith and Credit conducts annual research every year on a number of topic areas where we provide statutory compilations. So this will be a compilation of state and territorial statutes um, detailing kind of the age that you need to be to petition for protection orders or whether or not you need a parent or guardian to petition for protection orders. That being said, it is not a, um, it is, it is not in place of your own research, right? Please do your own due diligence, understanding that legislative session for some jurisdictions comes around very frequently and that laws have the ability to change. Absolutely. So if you are a teen or a parent and you have questions about your own jurisdiction, please uh, go in our show notes and you will see um, that compilation. We call it a matrix as well. And again, like Sarah said, laws change all the time. So even though we do update this every year, we want to make sure that everyone knows. Um, still go to your own um, state or jurisdiction statutes to make sure this is still the current version. And right, if you're so, a, I'm so sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. If you're a teen or a parent, I would suggest reaching out to your uh, local service agency. 
this particular matrix is, uh, like I said, a statutory compilation. Um, so it is a legal stuff, very legal stuff. It is the actual statute that's going to be in there in undigested form. And so if you're struggling to use the matrix, which is available to anyone, um, please, please take the time to reach out to your local service agency or contact um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which has a teen branch called Love is Respect, where you can send a text message or talk on the phone um, and go ahead and reach out that way for additional information. Absolutely. And we will link um, the Love is Respect information in the show notes as well. All right, Sarah, so let's get a little practical. So let's say I, Christina, am now 14 years old. And let's say I'm being threatened by someone that I am, as teens say, talking to. So for the, uh, the, the, the more seasoned listeners, that is kids speak for dating. Um, so I'm being threatened by someone I am dating. How would I go about getting a protection order? The first thing I would suggest that this individual did would be to reach out to their local service agency. And that way they can have a discussion about safety planning. Um, whenever we discuss protection orders with practitioners, we discuss the fact that a protection order may not be the best fit for all folks experiencing dating violence or domestic violence. Taking that into account, um, the the survivor, right, which would be the person who is experiencing violence, can have a detailed and productive discussion with someone who is well-versed in safety planning to help them make the choice on whether or not this particular avenue is correct for them and will enhance their safety. A protection order is one tool that you can use to enhance your safety. It's not the only tool that you can use. If after that type of discussion with someone well-versed in safety planning happens and you want to proceed with obtaining a protection order, the next step is to find out what, what the court requires for that person to obtain a protection order. So when we talked about legal, um, legal standards before, when we talked about evidentiary standards before, we wanna make sure that we can actually um, voice what has happened to us in a way that the court is going to grant our request. And that means that we need to, to meet certain requirements that are in the law that says, when you meet these requirements, you have the ability to get the protection order. So after you have that secondary discussion with your advocate or with your attorney, you go ahead and you file the paperwork, which is called petitioning the court for the protection order. And you may or may not have an initial hearing before the court looks at the paperwork and decides to grant a temporary protection order. Um, sometimes we call this, as, this an ex parte protection order because it is issued with only one party present. After the ex parte protection order is issued, um, please be aware that the, the other party who we call the respondent in this particular case, in some cases they're called the defendant, but here um, we're gonna call them the respondent. The respondent will be served the paperwork. They get a copy of everything that you wrote down. And then the respondent has the right to go to court to refute the allegations or the statements that are made in that petition and to say that the protection order it should not be granted. This is something that you also want to discuss with your advocate 
or your counselor or your attorney, you may have to face that respondent in court if this is the avenue that you choose you want to go down. After hearing both sides, the court then can the court then can decide whether or not to grant the protection order, right? It's ultimately up to the court there and not up to the individuals, not up to the parties. Um, so um, I made that reference to carrying the football far enough earlier in the podcast. Here it would be the court is going to decide if you have provided enough evidence, enough facts, um, proven that there is enough of a problem for them to get in the way and to issue that protection order. And how long normally um, do final protection orders last? That also varies widely uh, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Some jurisdictions have protection orders which last only six months. Some uh, jurisdictions have protection orders that last one year, two years, five years, or even a lifetime. So if you are having questions about if I go through this process, how long will this document even last? That is something that you wanna take up with your local service agency to find ex examples of that information as well. It's very important to know because you might be coming back six months later, two years later. It might be something that you no longer need or it might be something that you really want. And when you say, cause you've said it um, a couple of times, when you say service agency, um, what do you mean and how would I find that um, particular agency if I'm a teenager or a parent of a teen? Sure. What I mean when I say service agency is your local domestic violence direct service provider. So that is an organization that provides counseling and uh, sometimes even legal services for folks who are experiencing domestic violence or dating violence. If you are looking for your own local agency, you can reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline and they should be able to give you a referral to your own local agency or an agency um, that will be able to help you in your jurisdiction if your local agency isn't available to you, or you can contact uh, Women's Law. So you can go on the web and look at Women's Law, and sometimes they have a listing of a local agency. If you still can't find it that way, you're welcome to call the 800 number for Battered Women's Justice Project, BWJP, where Christina and I work, and we can also provide you with referral information for your local service agency. And that information as well will be in the show notes. So um, Sarah, I have one last question. So what outcomes should teens and or their parents really expect if they receive a protection order? The first thing I'll say is we can't really call them outcomes because I'm not exactly certain what your outcome is going to be. The relief granted in protection orders, whether one individual needs to stay away from another individual. So in this particular case, it's going to be that the respondent stays away from the petitioner, um, whether or not folks may need to change classes to be in compliance with that, because we are talking about um, people who are school aged. And so uh, these, these particular individuals may have classes together. There is the possibility that um, 
The respondent and the petitioner may also have a child in common despite them being teenagers, um, which also brings into play a whole host of other conditions. The relief granted in protection orders is also state specific. So the things that you are able to obtain through these documents are specific to the jurisdiction in which you live or which the respondent lives if you live in two different jurisdictions. So um, that is one thing to consider. So when you're looking at where you live, that is going to dictate what is available to you in a protection order. Um, and it might be that you have to stay a certain number of feet away. It might be even if you are older, an older teenager and have children in common that the person needs to provide some sort of child support and visitation on a temporary basis. Um, it might be that the person is prohibited from text messaging or doing any type of social media that may affect the other individual. There are a lot of things in play there um, that can be considered. One thing I will say is that sometimes the law has a hard time catching up to technology and things that are happening in the world, that the, our legislators can be behind in some regards. In that case, um, many jurisdictions have a provision that allows the judge to write in specific relief that are it's that will be directly applicable to the parties present. Um, and that is a, a useful thing to have as well. So I think in, in having this conversation, um, one of the most important takeaways is protection, protect orders of protection, protection orders are not um, nationally standardized. So you really have to focus on what does your state or jurisdiction or tribe um, really have in the statute about protection orders in your um, jurisdiction. So please make sure you check out all the resources that Sarah mentioned, because they're all going to be in our show notes in order for you um, and your families to have the best um, outcome possible. So Sarah, um, where do we find you or um, BWJP or the National Center on Protection Orders and Full Faith and Credit? Where do we find some more information about your um, project? You can find more information about BWJP and my project specifically at bwjp.org or fullfaithandcredit.org. And you're welcome to call us at 800-903-0111. I specifically am located at Choice 2, but you'll be able to reach anyone by dialing that hotline number. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah, for joining us at Taking Back Control. Um, I hope that any teen or a parent who is listening receive some really great information um, that they will be able to use in order to make sure that their teenagers stay safe. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Taking Back Control. Remember, centering the stories of marginalized communities is how we strengthen the advocacy work of preventing gender-based violence. And we all have our part to play. Talk to you next time.
This podcast series was supported by grant number 90EV04400100, awarded by the Department of Health and Human Services. The viewpoints contained in this podcast are solely the responsibility of the interviewees and do not represent the official views or policies of the department and do not in any way constitute an endorsement by the Department of Health and Human Services.